This is iUniverse Radio, brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is your opportunity to hear firsthand from authors about their new books. It's an in-depth discussion about the author's passion about the development of his or her story in their own words. It's an inside look into the characters and the plot and how the story all came together. Here is iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Fate Rode the Wind, and the author is Larry D. Quick. And Larry joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Larry. Hi. Good day. Great to have you with us. Fascinating story. You were born in 1938. Remember those war years growing up in a small community in Illinois? And, and so this is, uh, this is historical fiction, right? Right. Kind of like what it was like during those war years in a small town and what this family, the Quinn family, went through. Well, the Quick family went through probably what was very normal for any Midwestern family during that period. The only difference in the, my family that I wrote about is they w- lived on a small town uh, in, on a farm, uh, just very adjacent to a small town. Oh, okay. So the small town and the family were all interconnected. All interconnected. Uh, back then, of course, uh, people depended on each other, didn't they? Yes, they did very much. And I think they still do somewhat in the Midwest. Hmm. Well, uh, tell us a little bit why you wrote the book and a little bit about your background as well. All right. Uh, my background is, uh, of course, I was born in 1938, and I was raised on a small farm. Actually, I was born in a, in a farmhouse. And what I remember about the war is all the little uh, issues that were going on, not only in, in the family, but also in the community and how people were call, being called up for, in the draft, and the worry that they had about Japan attacking uh, Pearl Harbor. And these issues came up in the schools and uh, in the uh, businesses that were being run uh, with, uh, you know, the shortages of gasoline and all these other things that uh, were happening at the time. Yeah, that was a time of sacrifice. Yes, it was. We don't. And I li- think it was a lot different than the uh, wars we hear today because everyone was uh, upholding what was going on with Roosevelt and uh, the decisions that were being made. And I and I remember, even though I was so young, I remember some of the arguments that happened before the war, and how those people changed their minds radically within just a few days. Yeah, once America is attacked, that always changes everything. Oh, yeah, especially on that uh, massive amount of, uh, of uh, stress and everything within the community. Right, right. Uh, the, the country was very unified. Yes, it was. Uh, very few people uh, were against the war once it started. But there was a lot of controversy before it started whether we should ever uh, be committed to another war after World War I. Well, we hear about the greatest generation 
certainly those who fought in World War II were all that and more. But what you're focusing on is the smaller stories that aren't told but give a new perspective on this whole thing. Yes, and that's the reason I wrote it, because I read a lot of history. And I had never read anything just about the little men and what was going on in their heads and in their houses and families during the war. And I I just had a desire to show that. So the Great Depression is coming to an end, and the Quinn family makes a kind of a bold move, don't they? Yeah, uh, this family was unique because not very many people were getting the money to buy anything back then. And this family, I tried to show that because of this man's honor and and, uh, dedication to uh, hard work, he was able to get a loan and buy a small farm that was kind of run down and to improve it. So he brings this whole family, uh, as you pointed out, to this kind of primitive farmhouse on this new land. Uh, They really want to be independent, but life is tough. Right. That's very true. And uh, I think uh, this book illustrates how hard work and American ideals uh, can be uh, rewarded with with that type of a, a person. And I, and I think we still have people like that. Sure. And it's still there. Even with all the problems that America has, uh, where it's, the door is still opened. If people, That's true. You know, it may... It, but it does take, as you point out in your book, uh, all kinds of work. And sometimes no amount of hard work can create, uh, you know, what you want. I mean, they struggle with making a profit. Right. And, and the wife in this family uh, was the one that... They were constantly worried about money because she was raised in a family that was very poor. So she was always at odds with her husband. And she, she pushed him constantly uh, to be economical and save so she would be safe. Mm-hmm. And so when the husband bought this pony that is the antagonist in this story. <laughs> he was really concerned because he spent money that they could ill afford to spend. Right. But he had different motives here. What were his motives? Well, his motives was to keep the kids grounded because they were teenagers, they were close to town, and he could see when he was a kid, what he had done, he had gone off and left his farm and gone to Detroit and, and worked. And uh, so he didn't want his kids doing the same thing. He wanted them to stay home and be educated. But this kind of gift has dire consequences for all? Yes, they had very dire consequences because it did the opposite of what he he expected. Uh, It kind of tore the family apart in a way because uh, the wife was upset with the husband and the daughter and uh, especially the daughter, uh, loved the pony, and she tended to to go off and do things uh, instead of staying at the house and cleaning dishes and mopping uh, the floor and stuff like that, like her mother expected her to. She was out playing with the pony. Yeah, well, she was riding the pony and and, uh, enjoying uh, life, which was normal, because uh, I think in the story this girl is about 13 years old, 14 But this is a story of undying patriotism, but filled with trials, 
but at the same time, unconditional love. Yes, it is. Uh, I try to show that in a lot of different ways through uh, not only the family and how they stuck together, but how other people had other opinions about the war before it started at the end of the Depression. And I also tried to show uh, some of the uh, effects of the war through movies and books and posters and newspapers and all that. I was able to pull that into the story during uh, their dinners because a lot of this story happens within the farmhouse because people are constantly stopping by and talking because they were so close to town. And at that particular time, they didn't have telephones on a farm or any electricity. So that's how a lot of the communication happened. Just, you know, my coming by and chit-chatting with each other. And uh, so that's where a lot of the action takes place, right at the dinner table. Right at the dinner table, filled with human emotions. Yes, that's for sure. It doesn't sound like it's that exciting, but discussions can get pretty intense. And as we read your book, it can trigger thoughts of what's going on today in our country, in our culture, of you know, our lifestyles. Things have changed drastically over well, the I last 60, 70 years. Book, be very surprised at how different uh, the lifestyle was, the mores, and the culture was back uh, during the uh, 40s. I mean, it's radically different. Uh, ad- attitudes about church and religion, attitudes about pregnancies, uh, attitudes about families, attitudes about work. So much has changed since then. And how do you view that? Uh, when you look back, I mean, being born in 1938, you've seen uh, quite a lot of changes. How do you view today in comparison? <laughs> My uh, son-in-law asked me one time, he said, don't you think uh, computers are the greatest thing that ever was invented and has has changed more in the world than has ever changed anything before? And I said, well, you know, you're kind of forgetting electricity and a telephone (laughs) and the automobile. So I said, you know, there have been great changes in the world and great changes in America, and they're constantly happening. And I've been lucky to see a lot of this. So it's, you know, I have great memories of, you know, of our history, at least back until the late 30s. So your story takes us back in time, back to the 40s, uh, really to really to witness that whole uh, moment in time that was so challenging, and yet at the same time uh, had so many uh, great principles, great principles that people were holding on to. Oh, yes. That's exactly what the book is about. Well, it sounds like a must, especially in this day and time when we have uh, our country's not unified. It's kind of torn apart. That's true. You know, back then, I I, I remember, at least my memory, is that everyone was very uh, unified and and all their thoughts and everything were directed towards one end, and that was getting a war over and winning it and bringing the soldiers home. The title is Fate Rode the Wind, and we've been listening to the author Larry D. Quick. Larry, what's the best way to get your book? Well, you can get it two ways. You can get it through uh, iUniverse. Uh, you can get it through uh, off the Internet by using my name or the, or, uh, the uh, name of the book or uh, Barnes & Noble. Thank you so much, Larry, for joining us on iUniverse Radio. 
Well, thanks for calling. I enjoyed it. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Congratulations on being the proud owner of an adorable, soft, cuddly, sweet-smelling, smiling, cooing, hungry, tired, gassy, screaming little bundle of joy. So now what? Where's the owner's manual for this thing? Where are my instructions? Right here. It's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Infant care specialist Blythe Lipman has worked with babies for over 20 years and works extensively with new parents providing workshops, in-home visits, tips, and daily phone calls to ease those frazzled nerves. With baby and toddler instructions, you can get the advice you need on how to survive and enjoy your baby's first year. For more information on Blythe and how she can help you, go to babyinstructions.com. From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying to 14 ways to get a baby to eat and so much more. It's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on Toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. Greetings for iUniverse. This is J. Douglas Barker. Our book today is titled, Embrace Happiness, the Art of Conflict Management. Our author, who joins me from Toronto, Ontario, Canada, is Ali Soleimaniha. Thank you, sir, for joining me today. Absolutely. Ali, from looking at your resume, I can tell and see that you are multilingual in your abilities. Were you born in Canada? I'm Iran. I'm from Iran. Your book, Embrace Happiness, the Art of Conflict Management, how did that come about? What is your background that, that stimulated your thinking and uh, created this, this book idea and the concepts in it? Actually, I was in the field of uh, management consultancy and uh, strategy implementation. And during that time, I provided several workshops for high-profile senior executives on uh, conflict management and implementation of a strategy as well as negotiation skills. And uh, while doing that and uh, delivering those workshops for the senior executive, I realized that uh, there are lots of interest in the issue of conflict management, not only in the business context, but also in the personal lives and uh, the day-to-day lives. Then after a while, I was uh, more involved in the uh, issue of conflict management, and delving into that, I realized that the, uh, the Mm, conflict management is actually the core to the uh, success of a business because for every implementation and every change you're going, you're going to make and in your life, you will have some conflicts, either with your clients, your colleagues, or your uh, partners in life, or your uh, neighbors, anyway. True. So, uh, going more into the uh, understanding what conflict is and how to uh, resolve that. Uh, I came across this uh, Thomas Kilman instrument uh, on how to manage conflict. And uh, I started using that in my uh, workshops and my uh, practices on conflict management and negotiation skills. And uh, w- while I was there, I realized that um, it's not only implementation, it's not only business. It's the life itself. You can uh, use this in your day-to-day life, and actually, it's it's must. It's, it's a must to do actually, because and uh, and you can see that in in the book that uh, in the core of any happiness there lies a very successful management of a conflict. If not manage a conflict between your boss 
or between your work and uh, the, uh, balancing your work and home, you will have a big conflict at hand, either with your boss or with your boss at home. So that will create an, an unhappiness situation when uh, you will not reach the happiness and total relaxation uh, unless you could able to manage this conflict. You've managed and, to you managed to do this in 182 pages. One thing I do like about your table of content and your your chapter headings, they seem to be very uh, to the point. They're distilled. They're 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 accurate and very simple. Your chapter two is the life, and it has to do with equilibrium and other things. And then chapter three, what is conflict? A very basic uh, question, but you give some detailed uh, instruction on that. The sources of conflict, the roots of conflict, managing the conflict, conflict management process. You have done this in a very easy-to-read, easy-to-understand style. Was that your intent uh, at the beginning? Actually, I'm happy to hear that. Uh, I really try to put myself in a position of someone new to the concept and uh, try to approach the concept because I think the conflict is a very complex concept, uh, although it seems very simple, but it's very complex to understand and not afraid of. So I try to uh, devise a step-by-step approach to uh, deliver the concept. Uh, this book is about the absolute most important thing in your life, and uh, how would you describe that? Is it is it finances? Is it security in a job career? Is it money? How would you uh, describe that? Oh, actually, that was the uh, that has been the story behind it. Um, telling it short, uh, I was uh, asking several people uh, that what is the most important thing in your life, and I had numerous answers, uh, starting from. Uh, money, from job uh, prosperity, from uh, health, everything. When you collect them all together, the only thing uh, similar between all of them is happiness. Because if you have money and you are not happy, it's not, it's not good for you. You will not seek that. Mm-hmm. If you are happy and you are not happy, you will not seek that. So what you are seeking in life is happiness. It's not money. It's not uh, promotion, it's not family, it's not nothing. Those are all for us to feel happy. If I don't have enough money, but I have a very family, very loving wife, and a very healthy body and, and mind, I will be happy. And that is my uh, absolute happiness position. So uh, um, that is what I say that happiness is the most important thing in the life. When you begin to write this, you must have had a uh, an ideal reader in mind. Is this a person in management, or is this a book that's a little more broadly sculpted or broadly written for anybody that might endure or be influenced by conflict? Actually, at first, it was a management in my mind, uh, based on my previous work with management teams and resolving conflict in business. But... Uh, the more I go forward with conflict and uh, conflict management, I realize it's about every single human in the uh, society. So it's not uh, very specific and using very specific term uh, terminology to convey the uh, concept. It, I, I try to use the, the, uh, the best possible way to convey the concept in a simplest way possible. So. I believe everyone can read 
and can enjoy the content. This uh, concept of conflict is certainly written about by many authors. What is different about your book? Why is your book or your approach a little bit unique? Uh, conflict management has been approached uh, by several uh, people in the, in the academic world, as well as the business and the industry. But uh, I believe I have approached it uh, from a different point of view and uh, uh, having an eye on the importance of happiness and uh, understanding conflict as the main part of the nature itself. It's a, it's a natural thing, it's a natural phenomena here, and uh, we have to deal with it. It's a natural thing that we have to learn and uh, to be adapted to it. So, so uh, it's not something external, it's not something academic. It's Theorize it's something natural that you have to live with it. So the in English happiness, the uh, art of conflict management. I believe the conflict management is not a theory. It's, it's, it's just an art. It's the art and the way you live your life through nature. What would you say is the first step if I am in a conflicting or difficult situation? How should I approach getting through that? Uh, the first thing in conflict management is to understand and accept that conflict is natural. So, and, uh, and in, in the book, you, you, you find that uh, we have a definition for the conflict as and, uh, discomfort and difference. So, whenever you feel discomfort, uh, there must be a difference between you and a second one, uh, your other party, your boss, your colleague, your society, even yourself. So there would be a difference that is discomforting. So this is the first step to find out what is the difference, what is there, what is there that is different from my thing that is causing me so, such a difference. This is the first step. You have uh, taken philosophical concepts from Tao and uh, yin-yang and uh, nature's equilibrium and some other things and incorporated them in the book. This makes it a little bit unique as well. Uh, explain the yin-yang equilibrium. Why is that something that we should be aware of? Actually, uh, it, it's all that uh, changed my way of thinking towards nature. Yin-yang describes the nature to be a complete and complex system of yin and yang, black and white, good and bad, uh, beautiful and uh, ugly. So it's all there. It's all conflicts, all there in a, in a very harmonized, very well-designed uh, system. So when you look at the nature, you, you, you will enjoy the beauty of the nature, you, the, the scenery, everything. But in... In the, if you go in detail, you will find multiple and numerous conflicts between male and female, between... Uh, um, you can find it everywhere, even in a flow of a river, when it comes through a, a rock, there will be a conflict in nature. But uh, it's very well designed, and it's in, in, in the core of every movement in the nature. So yin-yang describes nature as a balancing between yin and yang, and I uh, incorporated it to better understand the, kind of the concept of conflict as two different things 
being different and being discomforting. So it's actually a yin-yang. And it also can be in balance. It can be and should be in balance. Should be in balance. Otherwise, we will be destroyed by it. Ali, take a, a couple of uh, paragraphs and explain to my listening audience why they should get a copy of Embrace Happiness. Uh, the first and the most important thing is uh, I'll be very happy to hear that. Uh, if they buy that, it is the first reason I would. <laughs> I guess to you would. But, uh, I, I have, I have an uh, extensive experience with people in different workshops and different levels of uh, organizations with conflict management and negotiation skills. And I have seen the effects of using that technique in people's lives. And I've enjoyed a great deal of having, uh, many people uh, using this concept and using the workshops, using that in, in their own life and uh, realizing the benefits of that. And they were able to change their lives considerably. And I, I see that, and I always uh, love to uh, look at the happiness it brings. And I receive uh, the notes, the emails, everything. That brings me uh, a huge amount of joy, actually. So I believe the book will help them. But the most important thing is, it's not reading the book, it's living the way it, uh, it says. It's just you have to live the way you live your life the way it is to be able to get benefits out of it. Beautiful title, Embrace Happiness, a goal every one of us, I'm sure, are pursuing. Embrace Happiness, the Art of Conflict Management. Author Ali Soleiman Ia has joined me from Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Ali, where do my listeners get copies of your book? Uh, actually, the online through our universe uh, publishing uh, site as well as Amazon and iChapters and Google and uh, every online publishing company and uh, online bookstores. Do you personally have a website developed yet? Uh, I, I, I plan to do that. I have a website, uh, queentexas.com, but <laughs> it's not uh, very well developed because I'm sort of busy doing other jobs. Sure, more. More to come then. And is there another book on yep. the horizon? Are you doing a follow-up book perhaps to another subject that relates to conflict management? Absolutely, yes. I, actually, I'm uh, planning to uh, delve more into the practical, more practical and step-by-step -step approach to conflict management in the day-to-day -day life. Our visit today has been with author Ali Soleimaniha. Thank you for joining me and sharing your story today. Thank you for having me. For iUniverse, this is Jay Douglas Barker. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Helen Wu was born and raised in San Francisco's Chinatown. And after a very difficult upbringing, fighting depression, abuse, and addictions, she finally finds herself genuinely happy inside and out. Helen believes in taking our positive thinking and doing something positive to achieve a positive outcome. She's here to make a positive difference in your life, to be your game changer, your aha moment mentor. She's ready to help both men and women get into a better place. Helen Wu is also the author of Self-Aid Success Stories, 25 Success Stories from Successful Entrepreneurs. Inspired by Ellen DeGeneres, 
Helen wants the world to know that just because we find ourselves in a difficult situation doesn't mean we have to stay there. We can aid ourselves to a better life. So join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. Greetings for iUniverse. This is J. Douglas Barker. The title of the book is The Cloud. Author Frank Pelescondolo has passed away. His daughter Donna, who also was involved in the editing of this book, has joined me. She joins me from the New York City area in the United States. Donna, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you very much. This was your dad's final written work. He was a, I would call him a fairly prolific author. How many books did your dad write? I would say I've published and unpublished. I've published and self-published probably 12. 12 books. He also... Maybe five plays. Oh, my. His plays, were they ever produced in a uh, a broad fashion, or how were they accepted or received? Uh, Some in local theater, in local theater, and some he just kept himself. You know, as a matter of fact, I'm very interested in possibly, now that things have settled down after his passing is, you know, further promoting, because I actually think his plays are some of his best work. And, uh, but he kind of kept them close to the vest. Uh, Mr. Palascandolo uh, was a very interesting gentleman, from what I am reading. He decided that it was time to set the record straight on some important thoughts that he wanted to convey, and that's how this book came about. 110 pages Donna, explain or share your understanding of what the inspiration was behind your dad's writing this book. Well, having said this and, and having done the, you know, basically some of the excerpts that we're referencing, you know, his main thing was that he had lived to be almost 96, two months short of 96, and he had lived through probably one of the most violent centuries in history, and he, he was born in 1917, and I guess just post World War One, during the Spanish influenza, then then the Great Depression. He served in World War Two, was on the streets as a young social worker in the uh, in some of the roughest neighborhoods in New York City. When his, he did uh, his main career uh, was as a criminologist, and he uh, so he came from a large Midwestern um, family in New York City that was there for seventy five years. He just had seen it all, you know, and he'd say, he'd say to us oftentimes, he'd say, you know, we'd be complaining about finances and the market, and he said, oh, you've never seen a raging bull, you know, mm-hmm. or a raging bear market or whatever, but he, to basically say, hey, guys, you're still, you know, you're so young and so unexposed. So I think when he was looking at um, his life in retrospect, um, so unusual that he chose the whole concept of, the lack of respect for life net net the whole concept of abortion to be his jeremiah you know he wanted to basically say as i look back and as i reference humanity which i have loved and hated more or less that he that he felt that this was the greatest greatest violence and that in essence that there would be it was a warning it was a warning, he'd say, it was a warning from an old man who's seen so much life. And we all thought it very unusual, because he actually started to write this book 
about four years before and had named it the cloud before there was the Internet cloud. So we kept saying, well, you know, they got there first. But the reality was is that he, uh, he thought very deeply about this. And it, it, it is a fictional work, too, isn't it? Uh, although it's, it's... It's a fictional work, but it reads very short, okay? And it reads almost like an abstract of a novel. And I kept, when we were doing some... Um, he was up visiting with me at my other home, so, and we were, visiting, we were revisiting some of the late copies. And I said, you just got to beef this up. It's just too intense. And he said, no, that's on purpose. Hmm. You know, I don't. I don't want to have to explain everything, and it is somewhat. Um, how would you say? Uh, it's so realistic, and yet it's so fantasy. And that counterpoint was interesting to me too. To wipe out this tremendous sadness that you have in something that's so almost phantasmagoric. You know, I mean, it really was um, the energy in it, and some of the things that happen are. Uh, you know, you just wouldn't have put them together. Or at least I wouldn't have seen them as secretaries. So basically, um, it was an energy that he had to expel. And it was just fascinating to me as to why at that time, why the subject. That's uh, basically what I can say about it. But and he you, had lived and he'd seen a lot. And he wanted to say, he wanted to say. Your dad was a very bright individual, even up until the last days of his life. A very, very bright, well-read, uh, had a, a broad perspective on life, and had this compassion or compulsion, I guess would be the right way to describe it, to share some final thoughts, perhaps. That's how he was looking at this book. How long did it take to complete? I think he was probably working on it from when he had started it, dropped it, picked it back up, maybe a year, a year and a half. A year, year and, and it had a, a lot of different, a lot of different forms, you know, in the sense of when he, the seed, and then how he started to develop it. I still feel that, given perhaps he had some sense his vitality and so forth, and I think he was rushing towards the end to complete it. And he and I would go back and forth over this because I was doing some of his uh, his communication and his literary management on it, and I'd be, you got to yeah, still kept saying slow down. This has got to be beefier. There's too much story here. And he'd say, you know, I don't have time. Amazing. And so, again, that energy of wanting to get this message across was so strong that I think in some cases he kind of rushed it. And But again, I don't know if it could have been written by somebody 30. I you understand. Know. He's brilliant. He was absolutely brilliant. You know, the man probably read 10 books a week. Um, he was very versed. He did a lot of poetry. He did Dialectical translations from Neapolitan uh, poetry. He was um, both popularly and as well as academically appreciated, but I'm not really sure that was all that important to him. And that's why I think he started to self-publish. He just kind of wanted to get it out there. You know, he had been through a lot of the rigmarole of of uh, the standard publishing news, and he was, you know, kind of doing his own thing especially in his retirement years. Yes. Uh, he has a couple of main characters, one he called the Little Colonel, and another a young college grad from New England, Abigail Simpson. Do you recall what his uh, thought was in why these characters were important to him? Yes. I think that Abigail Simpson, of course, represents um, the, you know, the young, um, innocent uh, 
a very impressionable college girl. I think that she's educated in New England uh, Ivy League and uh, is uh, becomes very, very involved in the struggle in South America, the drug, you know, the, the, the drug wars in South America. This again is, is there are a lot of themes here as far as things that have gone bad. Okay, so without giving away the story, there we get involved with um, with uh, kind of the incredible violence of the South American drug trade. In any event, this young girl gets involved with. Um, gets involved with wanting to be a do-gooder, inspired by a professor, da, 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 and she becomes involved in something that's way, way, you know, above her. And uh, she is, gets, gets involved in kind of a guerrilla army, army down there. And that's Bol- and, is that in Bolivia? Uh, is that my understanding that the, the story, a lot of it takes place in Bolivia? In, uh, or is it Mexico City? No, no, well, there's Mexico City, it's it's in the Andes, in uh, uh, Chile, in Bolivia, in that entire that entire Sorry, area, and then it moves on to that's mm. after. But basically, this young girl is, you know, she's a you know she's an immigrant, and she's captured by the, you know, the right and wrong of uh, in a rebel army that is fighting the drug cartels. It's fighting, yeah, I mean everything. The police are dirty that you know there's a lot of there's a lot of government and cover up there's everybody's hand is out so again you know without giving away the entire plot you're really talking about bad stuff he's looking at bad stuff and kind of putting it together and he put and this to, he, and he put this together it's, it's an action-packed uh, novel even though it's 110 pages there's a lot going on well as i say i felt that it was almost you know condensed is, you know, very, very condensed that each chapter could have been four times its length. Um, he introduced the characters, the characters happen, and then they kind of disappear. Hmm. But the, the, the actual essence of the book is it's a fantasy. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a cool fantasy, but it is rather fantastic. You know, the center character is an astronomer, um, and, uh, which is interesting because I'm married to an astronomer. Oh, that and, is a yeah. fascinating sidelight. Yeah, yeah. My dad is always fascinated by by astronomy. He's always fascinated by physics. I mean, anything. He would, you know, get some books and start reading. But um, and it's hard. I, it's very hard for me to describe exactly without giving the plot away. But basically, it is um, as if the whole world, meaning the animal, the animal kingdom almost all an animal farm type of energy. The whole the whole living world is looking at man to kind of fix it. Mm-hmm. He's in charge. That's essentially the theme. You know, he's taken, you know, man has taken point, but the rest of the universe isn't so sure that's the way to go. Okay? And what he considers to be the greatest violation is to destroy oneself. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Make so sense? that is the underlying message. Then it's a, a basically a warning to to the it's reader. Jeremiah, it is a warning. It is like you know the sky is falling. The sky is falling. Yeah, kind of literally and figuratively when you see when you read the book. Um, so you know that's what I guess he felt was man's greatest inhumanity to man. 
was yes. to destroy itself, you know, and of course there's reference to war, there's reference to uh, when, we t- when we're talking about the, uh, the drug issue mm. and the senseless killing. And, you know, uh, you know so, you, so again, we go back to Abigail and the innocent and then the absolute decadence at the end. So why he chose that at this point in life, never having even discussed it with any of us, hmm. we have three daughters. I think it would have come up at some point. That's fine. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yes. Just as far as where his energy was on it. So when I first read it, I was really surprised that he had taken such umber and so fiercely said, come on. You know, but of course, the book is in flashback in a lot of ways, too, where the whole universe is kind of looking at, you know, meaning all of the animals, you know, all of the living creatures is basically saying, you know, if we had to sit down on a, on a TV screen and flash through all these things, what would we be thinking and would, you know? and would you describe this book, the reader, when they finish this? Are they going to be inspired or are they going to be challenged? That's a really good question. I think uh, they could be they could be reflective and possibly more challenged, especially it's... yeah, especially in today's day and age. Yes. Um, there is there's a tremendous tremendous sense of naturalism in here too because you know some of his uh, some of his reflections are you know from other of Earth's creatures. Mm. Okay. Because so it's hard to it's hard to like, hard, hard to really nail it down. But if we had sure. if my dog had to kind of look at what was going on on TV, you know, I got you. <laughs> what would and he could talk? If he what could would talk, he what say? would he say? Could he make sense out of you know what happened yesterday in Paris? You know, could mm-hmm. he make sense of of nine eleven? You know, could he? You know, and all the all that. All, all those so, philosophical and yet questions. We consider ourselves so special that we we inherited the earth. Well, like, what are we doing with it? Because of the circumstances of the book, the history of the author, and the age of the author, this book is a fascinating read. And obviously by a gentleman who really had his wits about him and was very articulate. The title of the book, again, is The Cloud. The author, Frank Condolo, and his daughter Donna has joined me today. Where can my listeners get a copy of of The Cloud? Uh, on our universe, and uh, it is it is available. And um, you know, I yeah, I think they have a blog that goes with it. If they, people want to post any questions or any comments, that'd be super. I'd be happy to answer it because, as I say, I work very intimately with this uh, with this book with him. And he was very, um, you know, very forthright about his, his need to get it out to have his say. So I'd love to hear what other people have to say about it. Are there any of his other books in print that people can access, or have they been long since? Yes. If you go on yes. the iUniverse site, they're quite, they did decide to self-publish uh, probably seven or eight books with him. Incredible. His original, his original uh, he started writing uh, actually in the 50s and was commercially, you know, commercially uh, published. Um by Crown in those years when the first book was Rumble on the Docks, which was, you know, quite well done. But uh, Man in the Cassock, The Camorra, Eros Unbound, uh, The Wild Truth, all of those have been, uh, 
has been done, as well as he did some very interesting things as regards his history. We saw a lot, and he had a good sense of humor, and he did a, he did kind of a kind of a semi semi fictional historical book on that. They my parents did a cookbook, even though my dad didn't fry an egg, but uh-huh. they, my mother could. And what they did was they took all the you know the uh, archive of recipes and put together a small cookbook. I think more as something to leave us. But they published it through our universe as well. Donna, thanks for joining me today and sharing your father's story. Listeners, you can find more of Frank's work, Frank Pelescondolo, by doing a search under his name. Books and his history online, if you do a search under his name. Last name is spelled P-A-L-E-S-C-A-N-D-O-L-O. You'll be able to find these books and others uh, also at the iUniverse site. So thank you, Donna, for sharing this very intriguing insight into your father's life and his writing. Oh, you're welcome, Jay. appreciate your uh, following up. For iUniverse, this is Jay Douglas Barker. iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is produced by TogiNet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge.